podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Holmes and joining me as ever, we've got Leanne Prescott. Leanne, it's uh, good to speak to you again. Yeah, yeah, good to be back on. Obviously after Tuesday night as well, it's, you know, happy, happy days for Liverpool. Back in another Champions League final, raring to go. And, um, you know, hopefully there's another twist in the tail in the Premier League title race as well this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, the way I'm trying to see it is we've got a, a better chance of winning the Premier League than we did at in the first minute against the uh, the Barca game. So, you know, if we could get through that, we can win the Premier League. Um, and joining myself and Leanne this week to dissect what was a truly incredible night on Tuesday, uh, amongst other things, we have got the wonderful Scott Groom. Scott, it's good to have you back on, mate. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a pretty pulsating week, what with the City game Monday, and obviously Tuesday against Barca, and then obviously finding out who we're going to be playing in the final. Um, yesterday again another thrilling Champions League tie and it's uh, quite nice to have an all English final I uh, just don't want to be on the losing side for quite obvious reasons yeah it's a funny one isn't it you know an all English final in many respects it's a great thing but in many respects it's kind of a, an awkward thing because we're never going to get jipped from Ajax fans are we <laughs> it's just not a thing that happens really um, so we'll get straight into it um, and we'll start with your article, Scott. Obviously, there's a lot to sort of dissect from the game. And there's a lot of good quality content out there. But we're going to start with your piece, which is, I think, about one of the one of the, the, the heroes of the night, really, in Divock Origi. And you've written a bit about him uh, and about how, in, for you, in many respects, he epitomises this Klopp Liverpool team. And I think in many, many respects, he epitomises the reason that we sort of got through, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when we... It's a couple of times after summer um, I came on and we were, we were speaking about Origi's future. I think I wrote something about it back then. And obviously, it looked very uncertain. He had a few suitors. He he wasn't getting a sniff at Liverpool after coming back from Wolfsburg. And, you know, he was a man who was cast out into the cold. And we've seen players in not only at Liverpool, but just, you know, in world football who get put in that position. And instead of kind of rolling their sleeves up and thinking, right, I'm just going to be a, be a professional and try and win my place back. You know, they sulk, they you know, they go off the boil, they don't look like they're bothered when they get introduced. But I feel like Origi has demonstrated exactly why Klopp has decided to keep him for this season, at least in the fact that he's just been diligent, he's worked hard, he's clearly a very liked member of the squad, you know, he has good relationships with um, a lot of players in the squad and you can see that with the reception he got like, after the likes of Firmino and Oxlade-Chamberlain and stuff at half-time it was really good stuff um, but you know he's he's really worked hard he's clearly listened to the advice that Klopp's given him because even in the cameo appearances that he's been um, granted this season you can tell that his game's improved in areas um, you know he's humble he works hard he busts a gut every time he's picked and even when he's not picked, he really does try hard. And I just think, you know, all of these qualities, I always think with Klopp's players, it's not just about your professional qualities, it's about your personal qualities as well. And I think Origi really sums that up. And I think the obvious contrast to make with him is is that of Daniel Sturridge. I'm not for one second suggesting that he doesn't work hard, but it, it does. It, you just feel like he's not 
quite as willing to to make the sacrifices that Arigi is to win and you know retain a future as a Liverpool squad player. And I just think it's really refreshing especially for someone of his age as well. Modern footballers can tend to have a bit of a chip on their shoulder, but you don't seem to get any of that with Origi. He's just honest, tries hard. And in the last couple of weeks, you know, it all started with that 96-minute winner against Everton. And in the last couple of weeks with the goals against Newcastle and then obviously those two pivotal goals against Barcelona on Tuesday, it's just, I, I, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of poetic justice for his his hard work and it, he, he, he probably has won himself a new contract out of it to be fair and I don't think anybody can really begrudge him of that after the week that he's had. I mean to be fair on the contract point just briefly I think it would I, lo- I like the, the romance element of it the idea that we're going to give him a new contract because he's done so well but I mean to be completely to be fair we were always going to give him a new contract just because it protects his value There's, you know if, if we get him tied down to a new 4-0 deal we can sell him for 30 million instead of you know 15 i think you know it makes sense even if we, even if we are planning on moving him on so i don't i don't necessarily think that giving him a new contract means he's going to stick about but i do like that we are going to give him a new contract because as i said i'd love to see him stick about but obviously i think that that's maybe a question for sort of further down the line for the moment Leanne, what's your sort of thoughts on sort of Origi's week as it were you know the goal against on goal on saturday and then the two vital goals against barcelona and you know what are your thoughts on him sort of as a player as an embodiment of Klopp's system and obviously what his performance in the last few days. Yeah, I think, you know, as Scott kind of alluded to there, I think Divock Origi has been, been basically, he's been sensational. I think, you know, to come from where he was after Wolfsburg, where it looked like everything was kind of boiling over for him, he, he wasn't quite working out. Um, you know, that was supposed to be his lone move to get some good game time. Doesn't really come to fruition. He's played out of position initially, I think, as well. And it just doesn't work for him. He comes back to Liverpool and I think it was made clear to him really that he didn't really have a part to play. And he says, no, look, I'm not going to move on. I'm going to stay. I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to work hard. And and people say, well, yes, that's easy for him to do because he's earning a lot of money while doing that. But I think it was, you know, a reflection of his will and his desire to show Klopp that he could play a part and and credit to him. You know, he, he definitely has done that. There's goals against Everton, goals against Newcastle. And obviously the the goals against Barcelona, which send us through. So I think, you know, it's not just his goals either. It's it's the way he's been applying himself. The hold-up play against Barcelona was particularly impressive. And just his all-round demeanour, really, you know, that's what you want from a player. That's what Klopp wants from these players. He, he'll keep you if he knows that you're really dedicated to the cause and he knows that your heart is in it. And We've spoken before about how he likes a small squad and, and how he likes to know what everyone's role is. And I think Divo Carigi has, has proven he's got a role there. He's proven, you know, that, OK, he's not a, a Roberto Firmino. OK, he's not, you know, the, the best striker in the world. But there's a reason why he might be getting a new contract. There's a reason why he stayed and he fought for his place. And, and you know, he's, he's showed people what he can do. And I'm not saying he's turned into Lionel Messi overnight. He's, you know, he's not. But... I think, you know, this is a player who, um, I think it was Scott who just said that, he kind of epitomises Liverpool this season for me. I think, you know, the will, the desire, the defiance to say, no, I'm not going to give in, I'm going to keep going. That's what we've seen from Liverpool all season. That's been the script, you know, to to go toe-to-toe with Man City, to keep fighting, to keep applying yourself. And it's players like Origi who who have kind of epitomised that for me. you know, that's that's not to say he's going to find next season any easier to get game time. I think he's he's probably going to have a similar issue and 
at the end of the day, his future is still very much in his hands in terms of whether the minutes are enough for him uh, going into next season. But all you can really do is credit the player. I think a couple of years ago, it might even have been to the date of the Barcelona game when we played um, by a, not by Munich, uh, Borussia Dortmund in the Europa League. He was phenomenal. You know, he he instigated it. He scored a goal. And that was a time where everyone was saying this kid could be special. Obviously, he gets the, the horrific injury against Everton, peters out a bit, gets some loan spells, doesn't work out. And, and now he's almost back to where he was. Okay, you know, time has passed and it's still a precarious situation for him. But as I said, all, all you can really do at this moment in time is, is praise the guy for the way he's applied himself. And, you know, Klopp has come out many times and said, this kid, you can't fault him for his desire, and I, I just don't think he can. Yeah, I, I completely agree with, with everything you guys have said. I think the other the other big thing about Origi for me is that he keeps finding ways to score important goals, and not just you know goals, but important goals. This is a player that's only scored um, scored six goals this season in in less than less than six hundred minutes, which makes him uh, you know he's got the best minutes to goal ratio in our squad anyway. So already he's a you know, a prolific player in many respects when you consider how few chances he's got. But the goals he scored, have, you know, most of them have been really, really important. You know, two again, two in those two big league games that have basically won us four points against Everton and um, Everton and Newcastle, then two in a Champions League semi-final. And that's just, that's pretty mad. You know, obviously um, his other goals come in a 5-0 demolition of Watford, which is like fine. And in an FA Cup match that, that didn't matter. But even then, you know, the FA Cup match, you know, that goal that he scored... Was re- it was a really good goal in that game, and it it was important at the time, if that makes sense, even though the, we'd all kind of written off the competition. But it was nice to see Origi sort of, you know, contributing in those games as well. I think it shows, you know, he as I say, he's got six goals and an assist this season, and yes, some of those, you know, a few, quite a lot of those have been really, really important, but he's also chipped in when he hasn't had to, if that makes sense. You know, like the Watford game is a great example where he didn't necessarily have to come in and play well because he wasn't didn't necessarily need to, wasn't expected to, but he contributed really positively to that game and made a big impact on our on our team. And obviously he gets the goal as well. So I think, you know, you can see with him, there's very much a, a desire to push himself into Klopp's plans, even if things kind of either are going really well around him anyway, or if things aren't going well. And I, I think that's kind of the thing I admire about him the most, the fact that any sort of situation, if you throw him into it, he will give his all for the team and he will obviously be able to contribute goals and I think that's the thing I really like about him we don't really have another player in our squad who just can sniff out a goal the way he can Daniel Sturridge is a is a really good finisher uh, and obviously Seller and Mane are both prolific goal scorers but they're not they don't sort of sniff out a goal the way he does you know and it's the sort of thing where I really like it in a player because it's sort of talent people just say is is it's underappreciated because people don't really rate it they said, oh, you know, he's a tapping merchant. Oh, you know, his goals against Barcelona, like neither of them were particularly good goals. He was just stood in the right place. And I think there's a real knack to finding the area of the pitch to score a goal. You know, you look at, take the Barcelona, uh, the fourth goal against Barcelona as an example. Other than Trent Alexander-Arnold, he was the only player on the pitch who was aware and alert as to what's going on. You know, if you, Trent will get Trent gets a lot of credit for the corner and justifiably so. But if you, you know, if you watch about, you can see Origi and, Alexander Arnold make make eyes at each other a couple of times. There's a, that's, there's that sort of moment where they look at each other and go, they both sort of realise we, we're on here. So, and I think that's why Origi's quite clever because it looks like he's not looking. And when you look at it, he kind of he's like, oh, the ball's here. But he's already sort of he's already made it clear to Trent he knows where the ball's going. 
And that's, you know, that's killer instinct, that is. And I think that's sort of one thing that maybe gets underappreciated about his game is the way he scores his goals. And because that's something that people don't really tend to rate, if that makes sense. They tend to rate, you know, the the long-range screamers or the different types of goal. But I really like the way that he scores his goals. Um, so, Scott, we'll sort of segue into this. Sort of how important for you, how, how for you did Origi symbolise the team in the Barcelona game specifically, we obviously talked a bit more Origi about in general, but for you, how you know how was Origi one of those players that sort of stood up and sort of indicated, sort of set the tempo, if you like, set the tone? Would you say that's quite, an, you know, would you say that's something that you could apply to that game? Yeah, I mean, I think another point that just sort of is worth making, I think that Origi symbolises things that Klopp wants within the, the you know the desire that he's instilled within his squad you know a man that was well within his rights to try and move on and he was basically told to move on he's like no you know I'm going to stay I'm going to roll up my sleeves I'm going to work for my place they're the kind of attitudes that Klopp wants but they're the kind of attitudes that Klopp's going to get and you can see that transpiring throughout the team and the squad because he he doesn't want these players that aren't going to come in and give the same desire and have the same hunger as as Origi because he, they're just not going to get the game time and he's instilled this kind of giant mentality that he keeps talking about and I just don't think that some current squad players like make the obvious comparison again I don't think Daniel Sturridge has it anymore I don't think he's as hungry um, especially not he's just not willing I don't think he's he's willing to put himself on the line he doesn't like playing out of position. And he, you can you can kind of tell in his game he doesn't like to play out wide as a stri- as a striker in the front three, whereas Origi just kind of like goes yes boss I'll do it and that's kind of what I um, I was thinking about in terms of how that applies to the rest of the team because you know people will see Origi doing that but obviously he was playing a bit more front and centre which is a bit more of a natural position for him but you look at Milner again who at half time got switched to left back and you know how much he hated playing there for the pretty much entirety of season uh, a couple of years back um he you know he came out and said i don't like playing at left back but the boss wants me to do it so i'm going to do it and he did a bloody good job of it as well and we've got players that that are prepared to do that joe gomez is not a right back really but whenever he's picked there he plays and he plays well and you can see that he's got the hunger and desire and determination to do so and it's quite nice to have that with a as well and he's you know his passion and his enthusiasm kind of transpired through the whole squad line. You look at Genie when he came on as well, clearly and annoyed a little bit, whether he was joking or not. He wasn't he wasn't fully angry, you could tell that much, but obviously he would have been disappointed to have been left on the bench at the start. But comes on and he's like, right, I've got a point to prove, I want this space, I'm gonna, you know, prove that the boss is right to pick me rather than to chuck somebody else on and go more defensive. That's the kind of the effect that having those people around you in the squad has, I think, um, those people that are willing to kind of live, breathe and die for the shirt, it's, it really just, he is a shining example of exactly what Klopp wants from his squad. And you look around the pitch on, on uh, Tuesday night, you've got Henderson who apparently could barely walk at half time and has come out and said, you know, just give me all the painkillers and injections, everything, anything, a combination of it all. I, I will get out there and I will play the second half. You know, you've got Fabinho who's crunching into tackles with Suarez and you've got Van Dijk who's coming out from the back and just whipping the ball off Messi. You've got 
Allison, who's barking the orders at his defence after he's just pulled out of another another great save. You've got Trent, who's up and down the touchline for the for the uh, the second goal where he, he misplaces that header and then he immediately just goes surging after the ball to make amends. It's almost like the one of the sort of the mentalities you get told as a kid when you play football. It's like you gave the ball away. If it's not going to cause you to completely go out of position, then you go and win it back. You make an effort to make sure that you get that ball back. That's exactly what Trent did then. And, you know, you see all the selfless running from, like, Sadio Mane was brilliant. You know, the, the running off the ball that he he did and he put in himself out for the team. And I just think that Arigi is one of these people who has been made to sit on the bench for 98% of the season. But whenever he's been called upon, he's taken his task and he's just been sort of thrilled to have the opportunity and has been determined to make it his own rather than kind of, oh, I'm sulking because I'm playing left wing and I'd, I'd rather be playing central striker. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of the epitome of the squad player that, that Klopp wants. He wants everyone to be just proud to get out there on the pitch and um, and, and represent, really. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the point. I, I really like that kind of the wording there that he wants everyone to get out on the pitch and prove a point. He wants everyone out on the pitch to to make a point and to leave it all on the field. And that's what has been done in the last couple of games. Um, you know, Newcastle, the the defiance of the, the fight back, you know, Newcastle were, were pretty good. They brought the game to Liverpool, but Liverpool just refused to give in. They refused to, to you know, give up the fight for the title. And OK, Vincent Company then goes and bangs one in from 30 yards for the first time ever. And, you know, we're all frustrated. But again, it's a sign that this Liverpool team just don't give up. And there's a genuine will and desire and, and belief in this squad that something may slip right at the end. Something may go our way. Who knows? And even if it doesn't, to end on 94 or 97 points if we beat Wolves is is fantastic. It's more than the Invincibles achieved. It's more than Sir Alex Ferguson ever achieved with Man U. And I think it's, you know, it's it's a reflection of what this team are doing. Um, I, I said on Twitter the other day, I don't, I don't like the argument that success is only defined by trophies. I, I understand, you know, that is essentially the point of any sport is to win win the trophy. But it almost seems like there's a consensus that, oh, if you're second place, you're nothing. The whole season doesn't count for anything and, and automatically Klopp becomes a failure for another season. And I just don't think that you can apply that to this Liverpool team. I think, you know, if roles reversed and Man City finish second, then how would you ever call Pep Guardiola a failure? Because then surely he'd be a failure for not getting them into the Champions League final. And, you know, it, it works both ways. The way Man City have played, the way Liverpool have played, they're two brilliant, fantastic teams. And unfortunately, only one of them can win it any other year. Liverpool probably would definitely have won it by now. Um, something could happen against Brighton. I've, I've not given up hope of that. But again, it's it's a reflection of a season that's, so much more than just one piece of silverware at the end of it. Liverpool have progressed so much this year and I think there's a genuine belief, not just in the team, but amongst the fans, amongst everyone, that this is something that they're going to keep on doing for the next few years now. It's not a flash in the pan like 2013-14. It's it's here to stay. And just going back to Barcelona, again, you know, that, that was very much the case. 3-0 down, no Firmino, no Salah, no Oxlade-Chamberlain, no Cater, no Robertson for the second half. It would have been so easy for the boys to be like, okay, you know what, we're 1-0 up, 
we we might see this out we might not see this out we we tried our best the fans will back us anyway we we you know we've given it our all and you know messi goes and scores or whatever and and it ends for us and and almost i i think there wouldn't have been an acceptance over it but there would have been a yeah okay you know these these lads really did give it all the way they just come out in the second half and they're like, no, we, we believe we can do this. We believe we can do the, the so-called impossible that all the media were saying and, you know, that fans were rightly pretty pessimistic about the chances of getting through. But everyone in camp, Jürgen Klopp said to the players, you know, you can do this. You can make the impossible possible. And then he went and did it. So I think that's that's very much the message that this season has kind of took. Yeah, I think... I really like that sort of the attitude towards what happened in Kiev was we're better than this. We are a team that can do this again. We're a team that can do better than this. This is a team that doesn't need to take this on the chin. This is a team that needs to be angry about it. And I, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, it would have been easy for any other team to sort of set that set back and go, we gave it a good fight. But this Liverpool team, the reason that, I mean, the reason that they got through is because they, they knew that they were good enough. That's the thing I really, really like about this team. This is touching on a lot of the stuff that I've written in my article about sort of saying, you know, this is a team that knows how good they are. You know, Klopp goes to the team beforehand. This this is impossible, but you're the best bunch of lads I've ever, I've ever taught. You're the best bunch of lads that I've ever put together. This is the best team that I've ever put together. This is one of the best teams I've ever seen. We're good enough to do this. Step up. And, you know, you could see from the moment that they stepped on that pitch, there wasn't a doubt in any of their minds that they could do it. You know, the crowd fueling them on obviously made a huge difference. But this is a team that doesn't need self-confidence. This is a team that are almost arrogant in the way that they go out on a football pitch. And that's one of the reasons that they're so good, because they know that they're that good, because they know that they're capable of doing it. You know, and, you know, one of the stories that I really like, Jeannie Van Alden was apparently absolutely livid. He was on the bench. Good. Like, I love that. I love that Jeannie is fuming about being on the bench because when he comes on he's got that righteous fire in him you know Divock's maybe another one he's not angry that he's not playing but he wants to show every time he's on the pitch that he's good enough to be there you know he's one of those players that he'll get a lot of comments about you know Liverpool have got no depth in the attack Liverpool are like you know we're one injury away from Divock Origi starting in a Champions League final yeah Divock Origi wants you to know there's nothing wrong with Divock Origi starting in a Champions League final you know what I mean um and that I think is one of the reasons that this team is so good because they're so, they have that fire in them. And that that's really come from Klopp. But I think it's also come from just building a team that, that's, that's that good. Like building a team that is that elite, that they can just go out there and be like, yeah, okay, we're 3-0 down. We were good enough to, we, you know, we were good enough to match Barca stride for stride in the first leg. Barca are not three goals better than us. That happens in football. You can go, you know, if we can go out in 90 minutes, play better than Barca and lose 3-0, we can definitely go out in 90 minutes, play better than Barca and win 3-0. So I think, you know, there was really that kind of sense. And I think that's maybe where I like to think Divock Origi factors into it quite a bit in the sense that he was one of those players who was like, yeah, I'm better than what people think of me. I'm better than what people say I am. I want to go out there and prove that I'm as good as I think I am. And I think that's one of the things I really respect about this team, that they have that not just belief, but self-belief. And I think that's really, really important. Um, so we'll kind of segue this into a co- topic about other some of the other players who really, really impressed on um, on Tuesday night because Henry Jackson's also written a really good article about Fabinho and Henderson and how those are two of those players that sort of, over the course of the season, they're players who've maybe had sort of different uh, 
questions asked of them, different elements of them. You know, there's never enough space for two of them in the team. You know, Fabinho was a flop for so long. Then it was Henderson again. And now they're both playing really, really top football. And they were two of the players who really were fantastic it, on the night. I mean, to be fair, I, you could, to be completely honest, you could highlight almost anyone other than Shakiri and say this lad was brilliant because I thought they were all brilliant. But um, I, I think those two are a good place to start. So, Scott, what were your thoughts on, on those two players, I guess, but also sort of the sort of the team in general? Was there anyone else who sort of stood out for you? Well, I mean, you've, it was, you know, like you say, it's pretty much no end of superlatives that you could toss around um, the pitch at pretty much anybody. I thought before, until he went off, I thought Robertson was fantastic. Uh, you know, you could tell he was bang up for it. Um, Trent obviously was was brilliant, instrumental. I thought um, that without being as kind of feisty and ferocious as perhaps some of the other players on the pitch, that Matip and Van Dijk were were brilliant and they provided kind of the the two calm heads at the back. And I mean, John Matip again. I mean, I know it's becoming a less um, a, a more popular kind of trend of conversation. Sorry. Um, than perhaps it was a few weeks ago, but the season that he's had after, you know, Joe Gomez, you know, had such an impressive first half of the season, started so well, and thinking this lad, this young lad, is the future of uh, Liverpool's defence with Van Dijk, and then obviously gets a cruel injury. And you're thinking, oh, blimey, you know, is this defensive integrity going to suffer because of it? And Joel Matip's come in, and, you know, he has always displayed capabilities of being a very, very good defender, but also... A bit, I kind of, I guess, a bit like Lovren, you know, always potentially got that banana skin or that dodgy moment in him. But he kind of seems to have grown, and whether that's through Van Dyke's impact on him or whether he's just improved or he's learning from what Klopp's teaching him. But he's had an absolutely phenomenal season, John Matip, and I really like him as a player. He's another one of those where you can never doubt his hunger or his desire. He always tries. It's just sometimes it never used to come off for him, but this season it has. And he's been fantastic. He's been a really good, really good um, sort of deputy, if you like, to Joe Gomez. Whether you know whether one or the other starts the season next season with Van Dijk or we sign someone, who knows? But I think it was the spine of the team that really impressed me the most. And obviously, you've got those two at the back. You've got Allison, who made three or four absolutely blinding saves. And you know that's you look at that and you think that's why we spent all that money on him and you know there was videos going around on Twitter earlier about that save that he made in the 91st 92nd minute against Napoli all that time ago in the group stage it basically kept us in the competition and you just think what a difference that man has made as well him and Van Dijk have just completely helped to transform that defence and I say helped because obviously some of the guys were already there like Trent's come on leaps and bounds. Obviously, Robbo's come into the team as well. But, you know, having those two at the back has added just a level of reassurance and composure that just wasn't there before, especially not last season. Um, I just mean, it's why not? Like I said, it's so difficult to, to look around the team and perhaps not have anything great to say about everybody. Like I said earlier, Mane, he's, he was insistent and consistent and persistent in tracking down those Barcelona defenders. He ran himself into the ground. Henderson, when he went down with that knee injury, it looked like, you know, we were thinking, blimey, this is another Oxlade Chamberlain type injury. What a cruel blow in a similar sort of, well, in the same, basically, stage of the competition. That's what happened to the Ox last year. And look at him, he's only just coming back to full fitness now. 
similar to Henderson after playing, you know, some of the best football that we've ever seen him play. But so for him to soldier on completely, complete 90 minutes. And at the end of the game, I looked at him and I just thought he looked absolutely knackered. He had bags under his eyes. He was, he ran himself into the ground and I've never been one for Slayton Jordan Henderson. Yes. Point out when he's had a bad game, when he's not been as effective, but another one whose hunger and desire you could never doubt. And, he leads by example, and that's why he's still Klopp's captain because he, you know, he's just a leader and he's really grown into that role. And then obviously you've got James Milner, another one, 30, 33 years old, using his experience, you know, sacrificing himself for the team, putting himself in at left back. Fabinho, who's, like I say, was uncertain um, in his role, by the, and he, you know, looked uncertain in himself at the start of the season as to where he was going to fit in and put in an absolutely monstrous performance, just flying into tackles, springing counters, and that tackle that he made on Messi in like the 92nd minute when he was he just found himself on the penalty spot with the ball at his feet, just hooks the ball away from him. I mean, it's just there's just no end of superlatives to throw around. And I, like I said, I just think that spine of sort of Allison, the two centre-backs, Henderson and Fabinho, you could probably throw um, Milner in there for his first half performance and then Wijnaldum for when he came on and changed it in the second and then obviously you've got Origi up front who contributed so much um, as well as his goals and I'd just like to add at this point as well just kind of circling back to that point where you say he was alive to Trent's thinking for the fourth you know he nobody else was like you know I don't even think if Salah was on the pitch, Mane was on the pitch. I don't think Firmino would have been thinking about that. And it's the same with the Everton goal. Everybody had given up on it. Van Dijk slices that shot, it hits the body. You know, everyone's turned their back, but Origi's still in there, kind of like, there's still something here, boys. Don't give up. And that's, it was just miraculous. You know, everything that the core of the team was just superb. Obviously, superlatives get thrown around at everybody, but I think it was just that central spine and everybody around it was supported from that. I just think it was probably one of the most complete performances I'm ever going to see from a Liverpool team. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when you touch on the spine, you're looking in particular at Jordan Henderson. I thought, as as you said there, Scott, that he was fantastic when he goes down with that knee injury. As as you rightly said, you know, you, you're kind of clutching and think, you know, God, please, not another injury, not another key player. And Jürgen Klopp is very much the He's holding his head in his hands and he's thinking, oh God, you know, the captain's going here. And Henderson just gets up and he's like, no, you're not pulling me out of this game. This isn't happening. I'm going to carry on. And, you know, there were reports um, after the game that that he was taking tablets or taking whatever he needed to get through the pain at half time. And he just wanted to keep going. And again, that's the exact symbol of the fight that Liverpool carried throughout the whole game. Um, and it's it's a fight that he, in particular, as an individual, has shown very much since obviously that the positional change as well that's you know breathed new life into him. Um, and yeah, for Fabinho again, another one, fantastic. Um, I think the way he is able to control the game is is phenomenal, and it's something Liverpool have needed since Mascherano left. Um, but also the fact that he picks up such an early yellow card that wasn't a yellow card but is able to play in that kind of environment, in that kind of game where you've got the likes of Luis Suarez who are chomping at the bit to kind of frustrate you and anger you and get a reaction from you. Lionel Messi was was on the floor quite a few times as well, one of which he gets hit in the head by Robertson, which was I- extremely funny. Um, but, you know, Fabinho's composure to, to just keep going, even though he's got that yellow card to 
produce that tackle on the penalty spot in the 91st minute to you know, break up play continually and, and basically to keep the likes of Messi and Coutinho out the game and set Liverpool on the attacks. I just thought he, you know, again, it, it's a, a reflection of how far he has come from that, you know, relatively slow start, not being in the team, um, to learning the strategy, learning the, the philosophy that Klopp wants to implement, getting up to pace with the tactics and the, the press, and now being an integral member. And I think, you know, those two midfield performances set the tone for Liverpool. Uh, Jordan Henderson has always been the runner, always been the, the guy to set the tempo. Um, but now he's he's so much more than that in what he does. That's not a reflection of, oh, he's just a bull in the China shop and, and everyone follows suit. He was so much more against Barca and, and it was a real captain's performance. Um, and, you know, again, the likes of Van Dijk, Sean, Joel Matip, I thought was was phenomenal as well. Um, fourth choice centre back not very long ago and he puts in a performance like that where he's pretty much faultless um, so yeah I, I completely agree with Scott in terms of the spine that Liverpool have at the moment and the spine that they show during a game like that is is brilliant and they'll take a lot of confidence from that going into um, what could be a tough game against Wolves to be honest not many people are, are talking about it that it could be a tough game um, but I, I do expect it to be, but then obviously uh, the final as well. And um, just just to circle back round to, to the point I made earlier about how Liverpool are now seem to be in it for the long haul. It's the players like the Hendersons, the Fabinho's, the Van Dykes that are part of that. The Allisons as well. He makes huge saves during that game. And there is a, a collective harmony about with this team rather than 2013-14 where there were maybe specific individuals who shone Liverpool still have that in the likes of Salah and Mane and Firmino but they've also got the the sturdy back four the workhorse midfield the flair the grit the determination it's all kind of there now and with a little bit more squad depth I think you know this team will be challenging for the foreseeable future and as I said, I've I've not given up on the league yet. I'm a massive fan of Glenn Murray and I've got a poster of him on my wall just for this weekend specifically to hope that he does something um, against Man City. But yeah, I think, again, you can't really fault the way this, this team have performed this season and, you know, the, the fight that they've carried very much in the, the arms of their captain. I've said all along, if we needed to beat Wolves on the final day, I think we would. And I'm sticking by that. I mean, you know, you look at Anfield on Tuesday night. If Anfield can produce half of the atmosphere that it was create, that it managed to create for that for the trip of Barcelona, then they'll they'll do the same for Wolves because they'll need to. And I just, I don't, you know, I just think it'd be a foregone conclusion in many respects. The way that the crowd will get up for the game, you know, but we, you know, we beat Barcelona four 0 in that atmosphere, you know, through through the sheer force of will. So. Uh, yeah, I think in terms of, the, I'm curious to sort of hear your thoughts on the final because we sort of touched a little bit on some of the issues there. So Henderson and Fabinho presumably both start for both of you in the final, but who would take the third midfield spot? Would it be Genie or would, is that the, the three that you'd go with? And then similar question at the back, would you start Matip at centre-back and Gomez right back or would you start Gomez centre-back? How would you go, or would you just not start Gomez? How would you guys go about those two positions particularly? I think, well, obviously with Robertson's injury is not serious. That was sort of, Today. He'll be ready for the final. Um, Salah, you would have thought, three weeks' time will be well and truly over the uh, the blow to the head that he took against Newcastle. And you would like to think that Firmino would be fit and ready as well. 
So, you know, you're going to have a pretty much full-strength side apart from Naby Keita to choose from. So, because, and this is the trouble, I, pe- I think when people always say about, like, when you look at, say, City squad and you think, oh, they've got all these players and there's reports, like, I think it was last week, week before, of Riyad Mahrez being discontent with being left on the bench so much and you kind of just think, when you sign for a team like City and you, they could have got the squad that they have, like, you surely know that you're not going to play all the time unless you're, you know, going to exceptional levels. Um, and this is the argument that people have. Say, oh, why would why would we sign him? Because he's not, he's not going to come to us because he's not going to get the game time. It's just like, well, I don't think any of the current squad can be sure that they're going to get game time because the competition's so fierce. And I think people will want to come to the club over the summer because of the competition for, for space. And that's what we've got now. Like, you know, we've got Oxlade Chamberlain back fit now. So obviously the midfielders are kind of thinking, I'm going to have to up my game because, you know, Ox is going to be near in full capacity. And, we know how much Klopp likes him and should he find his best form again, he's he's probably going to be in the starting eleven. But in terms of looking for the short term, I think obviously Alisson in goal, Robbo and Trent right back and left back, you have to start Matip for me. I think it would be A, cruel on him for how well he's performed in the last couple of months to leave him out and B, cruel on Gomez to throw him in after he might well be fit again but he's not match fit. He hasn't played 90 minutes for God knows how long. And it's a big, big game to be thrown into. He's either going to be coming up against Llorente or a potentially fully fit Harry Kane, like flanked by Son, Eriksen and um, Lucas Mora. It's, it's quite an ask to come in and find your best after being off for a good couple of months with a broken leg against that. So I think the back four will be the same as it was against Barcelona. I think Fabinho plays, I think, Henderson plays in his more advanced role. And I think James Milner plays, to be perfectly honest with you. It's really cruel on Genie because he's been superb this season again. Um, I just think Milner's experience is probably going to be what Klopp will go with. Um, I just think Fabinho's kind of undroppable at the moment. So I think that's why he plays. And then obviously the front three pick itself. Um but I wouldn't be surprised to see Origi and Shakiri potentially play again on Sunday against Wolves, like you say, Tom. I think I can't see Shakiri playing, to be honest. Oh, I don't know. I can't it's, see it. He's he not going to not. He he's not a bit enough. But... He's not going to. Thing, thing is, either way, he's not. He's not going to not play Salah or Mane. This is true. This is true. I mean, he he could he could opt to rest Mane potentially and, and play no, Salah. He wouldn't. You wouldn't risk it. No chance. No chance. He's going to play Mane, is he? Um, I think that I think that what we what you were saying about it being a foregone conclusion about three points on Sunday, I think you're quite right there, and I think the pressure is well and truly on City. I think the pressure is fairly off Liverpool, to be honest, because it might be a bit of a tricky game, but I don't think anybody thinks that we're not going to beat Wolves, which then means that City have to win. And you know, Brighton did a pretty good job in their last game. You know, they're they're safe now. It doesn't mean that they're going to just kind of roll over. They're not a bad side, right? And I think they've been a little bit unlucky this year compared to last season when they were considerably better. But it's no foregone conclusion. So, you know, I think Klopp will try and get the game won early against Wolves so that he can potentially bring one or two players off for a stand innovation and just for keeping their legs fresh. But wouldn't be surprised if we see a very similar team bar potentially Shakiri and uh, Arigi 
for Firmino and um, Salah against um, against Tottenham in the final. To be perfectly honest with you, I I I almost completely agree with you. I think I think Genie's got to play personally. I just think he does. Liam, what's your take? Yeah, I think I would play Genie as well, just purely because of how good he was against Barcelona. I think that was kind of a, a statement to Jurgen Klopp to say, look, okay, you know, I, I know I've got competition here in midfield. Milner's got a great experience, and I thought Milner had a really good game, to be honest. Um, but the way Genie just comes into it and, and changes the game completely, brings a lot of energy, brings a lot of aggression to the game as well. I think, you know, Klopp's kind of got no choice there. Um, so I'd, I'd go with Genie, I'd go with Fabinho and I'd go with Henderson. Um, presuming Cater's not going to be back. If Cater is back, obviously that, that kind of changes the dynamic a lot. Um, I don't know on the fitness of Oxley chamberlain either because apparently he's got another knock. So, you know, the, there's a lot of options for Jurgen Klopp and a lot of players who are giving statements to him for ahead of this final and, you know, as, as we've said, a lot of really good performances against Barcelona. So it's going to be tough for him to decide. Um, but I agree with Scott in terms of for the Wolves game. I think I think we'll start strong. And obviously it depends on, you know, the score and the circumstances. But if there is a if there is an ability to, you know, take a, a Mane off or a, a Bobby off, if he's still not quite 100%, then he will obviously look to do that. And, and maybe... Hopefully Liverpool will be in a situation where, let's say they're three 0 up and Ryan, uh, Ryan Brewster can come on um, for five ten minutes, even if it's just that, just because it would be such a good moment for him ahead of next season where he's supposedly going to break into the first team picture. Um, and you know we all know Klopp rates him really highly, um, and I think you know the the focus will be on that Champions League final. Uh, we've got more than enough quality to beat Wolves before when I said I, th- I think it's going to be a difficult game. It, it's more that I don't think it's... I, I don't... I think it's more a reflection of how good Wolves have been this season rather than I don't think Liverpool are going to win. I think Liverpool will win. They're determined to keep this momentum going. They're determined to take it into the Champions League final and, and we should have too much quality. Um, but yeah, it's, it will be interesting to see for the final because as we've said there, I would play Genie, but James Milner also made a phenomenal case. Um, it, Robertson comes back in, so Milner won't be playing left back. But it, it's a case of whether he wants to go for the experienced head and then bring on Ronaldo or go for the more dynamic approach. Uh, and a lot of that, I guess, will depend on what players Spurs have available in their midfield as well, because they've got quite a few injuries at the moment. Um yeah, again, it's testament to we've got a, a group of lads who are all really chomping at the bit to prove themselves, to prove that they should be starting in this squad. Um, Trent went and did it against Barcelona as well. So I think there's a lot of options for Liverpool and that, that's only a good thing. Yeah, I think the other the other thing to kind of note there is that, you know, we've talked about Debo Carigi a lot cycling back round and, in no, you know, in no sort of world, unless something bad unless Bobby really isn't unless they're actively lying about how bad Bobby's injury is there's no world where Deepak Origi starts in the Champions League final for us that's the that's the harsh reality of that situation you know all three of us have just spent 20 minutes praising Deepak Origi and then when it comes to a conversation about the Champions League final he's not in anyone's picture and that just you know that says a lot about where this team is right now um, and about the you know the level of quality that is required to break into this starting 11 on a consistent basis because that's the thing you know 
we've talked about just again just to cycle it right back to Rigi where we started. How many you know he's consistently played well when he's been called upon, but then he's not been called upon again, and that's not because he's done anything wrong, but it's been more because he's just not Roberto Firmino, and there's nothing you know there's nothing wrong with that. He's just not as good as Roberto Firmino, and I think that's maybe where it's a bit different in sort of the midfield in particular, where you've got five players of similar-ish quality. I think some are better than others, obviously, but I think, you know, you've got five players of similar-ish quality and you're looking at players like Wijnaldum and you think, you know, it's really harsh to drop him. But then equally, as you say, it'd be really harsh to drop James Milner. And I don't think anyone is even considering the possibility of dropping either Henderson or Fabinho. And I'm, I'm not necessarily sure it's that even that straightforward, if that makes sense. You know, I'm not sure there's any one midfielder I would look at and go, they're nailed on to start in the Champions League final. That's that for me. That's what for me is really interesting. I mean, obviously, other than Keita, who we're I, I presuming was, it won't be fit. I would say Fabinho is a guaranteed start for me, just purely because he is kind of the the rock in that midfield. I think it would be incredibly strange if, let's say, Klopp went for a, a Henderson, Genie, Milner. I I, I well, we've seen that see before, that. though. Yeah, but I I don't. I, we've seen that before. Yeah, but we're not. We've not seen that. You know. The way Fabinho, we, as you said there, we spent 20 minutes praising players. Fabinho was absolutely instrumental in that Barcelona game. He's been absolutely instrumental basically for the past few months. Yes, we've seen instances where he has dropped out the team, um, but I think that's when maybe the tactics have demanded something else. This is the Champions League final. This is a guy who is effectively the anchor in midfield and everything kind of bases off that. I really don't see a situation where he doesn't start. Um, I, I do get your point that I, I think the point you were trying to make, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, as as we've said, there's so much competition there, so many good performers at the moment, all wanting to start this game. And, and it's going to take, obviously, some hard decisions from Klopp to make. But in, in the case of Fabinho, I just think, and I don't know if, if Scott will agree or, or agree with you, I just think he has to be playing and, and he will play because he's the anchor man. I, th- I think he has to play, but I th- also thought he had to play the last time we played Spurs. And that's the thing. I agree with you in the sense that Klopp, the last time he was dropped, Klopp wanted to do something tactically a bit different. That's my worry. Is Klopp going to want to do something tactically different again because it's Spurs again? I mean, I mean, that's what I'm curious about, but I'm very keen to get your view on this as well, Scott. Well, I think Leanne kind of made a very good point in the fact that it depends what kind of midfield Spurs start with because they've got a couple of midfielders that aren't what I would describe as particularly mobile in Eric Dyer uh, being sort of a standout example of that. Musa Sissoko is a bit cumbersome, a bit clumsy, a bit clunky. I think if both of those players start, I can't see why they would. I don't know. It depends how Pochettino decides he wants to set his side up. Does he decide to go for a bit more of an attacking lineup, or does he perhaps play a bit more conservatively, hoping to catch Liverpool on the break? Difficult to say. But I think if particularly Eric Dyer starts, I would not be surprised to see Wijnaldum start, contrary to what I said a minute ago. But this is this is this is the point I'm, I was making about summer signings a minute ago. You, it's it's a wonderful wonderful dilemma for Klopp to have to be able to be like well I've got I've got literally four or five combinations that I could use to start my midfield and either one of them is good it just depends which one is better suited for the situation I mean but if, I, I I do agree I think Fabinho is the linchpin in all of them I think 
if you like, if you do choose to play Henderson in his more reserved role, you lose out on that aggressive press and the leading from the front and the tenacity in harrying the, the Spurs back line with him playing in a more advanced role. I, I think I just I just feel like it's Henderson and Fabinho, and then that other person. It just greatly depends on who that is. If Klopp wants to be a little bit more careful, it will be Milner. If he wants to have a bit more of a go, it will be Wijnaldum. I I would be surprised if Cater's fit, given the extent of his injury, and he won't be match fit. So I don't think he'll start. Oxlade Chamberlain, we know, is struggling a little bit with an injury, but I just it it just depends really, and it dep- and Klopp will obviously know better than all of us because you know how many times have people called into question his tactics this season, and he's sort of stood there with his two fingers up at him at the end of the game and like, you know, just shut up and listen, boys. I know what I'm doing here. I'm paid to do this job. I know what I'm doing. He watches these boys day in, day out in training. He knows... It, I, I, last night when Spurs got through, I kind of thought, oh, bloody hell, I did not want an English team in the final for fear of losing to an English team, whether it had been Spurs, whether it had been City. I didn't care. Any English team in the final would have been preferable to, for me to have I'd rather have played you know a juggernaut of European football than anybody from England just because of the fear of losing and how that would play out on fan forums and Twitter and you know at work and all this that and the other but the fact that it's Spurs is kind of I'm, today I'm okay with it I'm I'm not scared of Spurs I'm scared of losing to an English team and I think that's kind of the general consensus because this Liverpool team I think on paper has got the, the better strength in depth. It's got the more dynamic squad. It's got the better squad. It's got the more reassured squad. It's got the fitter squad. I mean, even if Harry Kane does come back to play for Spurs, he is not going to be match fit. Yes, he'll be bang up for it because it's a Champions League final. He's not going to be match fit. And no matter who you are, you could be Cristiano Ronaldo, Leo Messi, you could be the hybrid of every single great footballer that's ever lived and be the pinnacle of a footballing player. But unless you're match fit, you're not at your best. So that's where I think that, you know, given the fitness updates and everything that play into Pochettino's thinking, that will massively play into how Klopp goes about picking his team. But circling back to the point, Fabinho, he he's one of the first names on the team sheet, along with Salah, Mane, Allison, Van Dijk, for me personally, and for me personally as well. To be fair, I uh, I'm just I'd say worried is probably the right term. I'm worried about what what Klopp's going to do, but I guess we'll see. You know, I've talked before about the midfield. I think it's not the players in it; it's the combinations that are the problem, rather than any individuals. So I'm I'm very very curious to see what Klopp decides to do. Um, so is there anything else that either of you want to sort of uh, mention or cover off before we finish up? No, I think um, maybe just a, a a brief talk, I guess, on Trent, just because you know we've we've praised a lot of people, but I don't think we've really given um, enough emphasis on on that fourth goal. Scott mentioned it briefly, but you know the the awareness from a a twenty year old kid to to be on the arguably one of the biggest stages you know it's a Champions League semi-final it's against Barcelona it's against the likes of Leo Messi and what does Trent do he's he's pinging balls across to to James Milner like 40 yard crossfield balls to perfection he's showing tenacity to to close down Jordi Alba to create Genie's 
I think it was his first goal. It might have been his second goal. And then obviously the fourth goal, the corner, he's alive to a situation where no one else is looking. So Stegen's even clapping himself and his defenders for putting the ball out for a corner. They're, they're that happy about how they've defended the previous attack that they're still praising themselves. And Trent's just like, right, OK, cool. I'm going to slot this to read you while you're clapping. And, you know, Liverpool from there go on and, and reach the final. And I think it's just testament again to just how good Trent is, just how fearless he is, just how fearless Liverpool are, that there's the the awareness, but also the execution to be able to do that is, is for me, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think for me, it highlights one of the few mistakes Scott made in the first leg, which was not playing Trent, for me at least. I, I get the fitness element of it, but then to sort of to not to go too Adam Shushan on this, but you just if you know if you you've got to build your squad around having Trent fit for that game then, if that's the way it is. But I, I mean, you know, Trent's a phenomenal player, he really is, and I think he's demonstrated that he's more than ready for the big games now. Um Scott, anything you want to add before we move on? Uh, no, just quickly touching on the Trent thing, I think both bang right. I, you know the technique that the kids got is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. He's, you know, he's got pace, he's got power, he's got the ability to do pretty much everything. He's as much as people might criticise him, he's still a bloody good defender and he's only twenty years old. Like he's only gonna get better, he's only gonna get fitter, stronger, more wise, more tactically astute. And you know, I think he's got the perfect combination of being fearless, but he's so wise for twenty years old. He's such a mature footballer. Like it's just it's scary. But you know, I just think, I mean, everyone. I just want to touch on the whole, you know, facing an English team in the final thing just, just once more. It's like, you know, it was always a possibility. We, if you get to the final, if you want to win the competition, you're going to have to go through tough games. Liverpool and Spurs have both pulled off some incredible performances en route to the final. But I just think Liverpool have got a bit more. If it, if it's objectively, if you were to look at it, I think a lot of people that I've spoken to in the last couple of days are saying, I think Liverpool will probably just edge it, but you never know because it's a one-game scenario. And I think, you know, if you look at this Liverpool team, it is relatively young. It is still a little bit green around the edges. But you're looking at this Liverpool team and it's not like it's a team that has reached the Champions League final within the last five years. They were here last year. They were here last year and they've improved on where they were last year and arguably before Gareth Bale pinged that second goal in, Liverpool were well in that game. And, and that was against Real Madrid. And that was against a very good Real Madrid side that was littered with talent, like the Barcelona side was on Tuesday. And I think until, you know, kind of fate intervened, we were well in with a shot of winning that game. And this team is three, four times the team it was last year, has strengthened in areas that it needs to strengthen. The areas we were strong in, we've got even stronger in. I just think that we'll probably combine that with, you know, the recent experience and you've got players like Mo Salah who are going to be hell-bent on making sure that they get revenge for what happened last year. I know it's not directly against Madrid, but they're going to want to put something right. And I just... Spurs, yes, bang up for it. First European final in God knows how many years and they will want to get their hands on that trophy, but I just think Liverpool are going to want it a little bit more. And... It's an exciting prospect. Um, my granddad was a Spurs fan, so if we do lose to Spurs, kind of for me on a personal level, there's kind of no better side that we could lose to. 
despite what many Liverpool fans will say, that's a personal thing, but one thing we can all agree on is it's going to be an absolutely wicked final. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. So, um, Scott, is there anything you've got uh, going on that you want to plug? Um, I'm hoping to have another article out in the next couple of days. I mean, there's a plethora of topics that we're going to be able to pick from. Um, so we'll just see what happens on Sunday. I think I'm, I'm with Leanne. I, I don't think it's all over yet. I still, I still feel like City haven't had a twist in the tail in their season yet. And maybe Glenn Murray's saving it until Sunday for us. Who knows? But if they if they do, then I might just, just go out and kiss a Chris Hughton lookalike or something. But we'll see. And Leanne, is there anything that you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably have something on Diva Carigi out in the next few days. Um, busy schedule for me at the moment because of university. But as, as Scott said, there's so much to talk about. And obviously, I think there's a few things to talk about whether that Saturday result happens to go our way. Um, and particularly if it doesn't, I think, you know, it's it's almost because because of the overturning Barca, there's hope is back now in in kind of the fan base on Twitter people are no longer like oh is this season fizzling out before our eyes but I still think a couple of people might be like oh you know annoyed quite I guess you know the frustrations are right because getting 94 97 points and not winning the league is is pretty ridiculous but I think you know it it could be a, a poignant time to to go and say again this is an incredible Liverpool team we've not won the league but this is an incredible Liverpool team and it just so happens it's coincided with another incredible team in, in Manchester City. Um, so maybe something on that if if Saturday doesn't happen to go our way. And if it does, I'll definitely be writing something on Glenn Murray and I'll just put it on AI because everyone loves him. Fair enough. Uh, and as for me, I've just got the piece that I kind of mentioned earlier coming out soon about how belief and sort of focusing on how Klopp believes in the team and how the reason that we can believe in this team is that it's really, really good. Um so yeah, uh, thank you very much for coming on, guys. And thank you so much for listening. We will hopefully be back next week uh, to celebrate, hopefully Liverpool winning the title. But um, we'll see how that one goes. Either way, we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Bye now. Podcast Network.